Hello and welcome to another episode of Signs, Cosines, and Tangents. We're on episode 34. This is the 34th time we've had this intro. 35th. As you like to correct me. So, we're going to apologize. Well, I'm going to apologize, even though you're not supposed to do that or whatever, but... Our real lives have gotten in the way of us podcasting, and we're only going to have a short, tangential episode this week. Yep. See, Sean's nice and brief to what this is going to be, so... Keeping us focused for change. Yeah, 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 yeah. Keeping us focused. We're going to get started. First, uh, we'd like to address some audio engineering critiques that were made of us. uh, Wholly deserved, by the way. Still got the dongles. You don't need the dongles anymore. Well, I can unplug it and replug it in if no, you want. No, it's fine. We're live. Just I watch just... the dongles. So, anyhow, Sean's upgraded his uh, headphones. You do sound a little hot. I'm a little hot. Yeah, I don't know why. It sounded fine before. Not like, you know, strikingly attractive hot. Just like you're blowing out my ear. Hot. Sorry. I apologize. It's okay. It's good. That's better. Okay. I think it's just the monitor there. Um, so Sean got new headphones. I did. So they won't be clanking up against the mic anymore. Next time. Next time. Because I didn't actually. No, it's, it's, it's fix the mostly addressed. It's not right up against the mic this time. And they won't click when my jaw moves. We want to bring you the highest quality podcast possible. Yes. We know you guys are coming out for the uh, high production costs. So we've addressed that. Thank you for your feedback. You know who you are, and we're dedicated to improving the quality for you. And, you know, we figured after two years of this, probably should invest some money. Yeah, and we did upgrade some of the other equipment, too, but then uh, that happened, and it was, yeah. well, it was what it was. So, I, I want to start a new section. I'm, I'm not sold on this section name. but I'm not sold on this section. You're, yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> but I... I recognize that you're trying to freshen things up and I'm make trying to freshen work. things up. And plus everybody else does it. So why can't we talk about it? But I'm going to make it a little more focused. Um, the section name. And again, it's up for you, the fans to help determine massage. just how bad it is. Yeah. I was going to say, assume, work out the name. assume negative intent, you know, cool. Um, <laughs> so the section is my dad works at Nintendo. Um, you know, because he works at Nintendo, he's friends with my uncle. He knows that Super Mario Brothers 4 is going to come out tomorrow. So I, I don't think it should be your dad, because that's too close. It's, it's going to be, be like my dad's friend's cousin. Roommate. Room, it's, yeah, now we're Roommate's sh- boss. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> if it's your dad, chances are you could trust it. Yeah. So. so there's been a couple rumors going around that were pretty solid, and I don't like to... Re- on rumors but here here they are and we have some evidence of something kind of well the first one we actually have positive evidence as of today yeah so one is microsoft and nintendo are going to be working together to bring xbox live services over to the nintendo switch as of to this date of the recording nintendo announced that cuphead was coming out for nintendo switch published by microsoft um, and it's going to have Xbox Live features such as achievements linked to it. Now, they've already added the Xbox Live uh, features to Minecraft. So, Microsoft and Nintendo are kind of 
playing friendly together? Well, everybody's playing against Sony at the moment. Yeah, that's what it seems to be, right? Right, and and they've bullied Sony into being cross-platform on some of the games. But it's really Microsoft and Nintendo kind of going, look, we're we're nearing the end of this generation, and we're moving towards games as a service and everything. Uh, Nintendo's doing it, Microsoft's doing it. Actually, the one who's doing it less is Sony. Um, but I'm sure they'll catch up. Yeah. And um, so there's also been some rumors that Scalebound was going to be coming to Nintendo Switch. Scalebound was a canceled Microsoft Platinum Games um, venture that they were working on. Um, and again, I don't know if this one holds any truth. I know Nintendo and Platinum have a really good relationship. Um, so I don't know. What do you think about this? Do you think Scalebound is going to see the light of day? No. Yeah, neither do I. No, so, I, I, I think its day is done and Platinum will have moved on at this well, point. Well, they already have with uh, Astral Chain, which is coming out in mm-hmm. August. So, so th- the reason that was, this was spurred was there was a rumor that Nintendo was resurrecting a prominently canceled game, meaning it was published that they had canceled this game and they were bringing it back. So there's, and people went to Scalebound first. There were a couple others that others went to. There was one in the back of my head that there's been, this is in the, and this is, goes back about 10 years. There's been no other project that was rumored to be canceled as much as Metroid Dread. Do you remember Metroid yes, Dread? Yes, I do. So Metroid Dread was supposed to be the 2D Metroid game to come out for the Nintendo DS. The mm-hmm. Nintendo DS only saw one Metroid release which was Metroid Prime Hunters. Hunters, which... The best FPS for the Nintendo DS. Wasn't there a Call of Duty or 3? The best (laughs) FPS for the Nintendo DS. Uh, I'm not going to argue that. So what do you think? Uh, Do you have any ideas of what a prominently canceled title that Nintendo would be resurrecting would be? You know, I I have to kind of admit that Nintendo has canceled, or not Nintendo, well, yeah, Nintendo has canceled so many titles over the years that I I don't have a good feel for this one. I don't know. Yeah. And that's kind of a nice feeling. I want to be surprised. Yeah, I'm hoping it's something new and something different. I mean, Metroid is the first that goes to my head because Metroid Prime 4 got pushback. Redone. Let's say, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. And just like Scalebound was. Yeah. So maybe Scalebound Metroid. So Samus rides dragons? With Nero. That's Devil May Cry. I know, but remember the main character from Scalebound looked like Nero. He did look like Nero. He had the white hair and in the kind attitude. Of, well, he had the, the attitude. The fake arm. Was, yeah. You know what? That was very, maybe that's why. <laughs> so we're going to move on. We're moving to tangents, and we've got a we've got a bunch for you. Yes, we do. Um, first is Reginald Fizeme is retiring from Nintendo. Isn't he actually gone at this point? April. Oh, I thought it was March. No, April. So what's weird is if you're a Nintendo fan, you know who Reggie is. Um, mm-hmm. There's lots of memes. Involving Reggie, and he's kind of played into those memes over the over the years with him 
saying my body is ready and him working out. I remember for the, when they um, brought back the Nintendo world championships, they did this video with Reggie where he was working out and it was all, he was uh, lifting game cubes. He was running on the uh, track and field pad from the NES. And then he got down on his hands and patted it with his hands and somebody walked in and on him. And then he he definitely was an executive who understood the value of joke marketing. Yeah. Well, and, and here's the thing is he published a video thanking his fans and showing appreciation for his fans. And this is a time in America where there's a lot of talk about people that are billionaires are unethical and all this. You have this guy who's a CEO of a company. Mm-hmm. He's just a normally he no, just he, runs a business. I, and he says goodbye to his fans and people are sad that he's leaving. So yeah, that's pretty rare in America these days. Yeah. You know, nobody was sad when Lee Iacocca left GM. Yeah. Um, and do you remember the, the, did anybody say goodbye when Howard Lincoln left Nintendo <laughs> or Carly Fiorino left HP? Yeah. No. So no. this is, this is definitely abnormal and he's leaving at a point in his career where he's, I think he's leaving on top, right? He's, things are going now well for Nintendo. He stayed through during, I mean, honestly, he could have left during the Wii U mm-hmm. times. He had no ties Nintendo of Japan and Nintendo of America are separate entities, right? Nintendo of America has to basically be the cheerleader for Nintendo in America. And he could have just said, this is ridiculous, guys. So. Well, I I think in retrospect, we look back at the Wii U and we look at it as a failed experiment. Yeah. But it really wasn't. No. And Nintendo it, said... It wasn't the Wii, Right, no. and it's not the Switch. Yeah, it was the strange embryonic hybrid. It was a stepping stone. Yeah, and it was Nintendo trying to figure out HD. They mm-hmm. went into it, and one of the first articles that was published about Nintendo developing for the Wii U was: we didn't realize developing for HD was going to be so difficult and time-consuming. And every Western developer who's been developing <laughs> for anything, kind of, <clears throat> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, and this isn't in our list, I don't believe, but we're also experiencing GDC this week. Yep. And there were some announcements at GDC we'll come back to in in a few tangents. Yep. uh, So, for those of us who've been following Nintendo for the last uh, 15 years, roughly, uh, seeing Reggie leave is disappointing. There's a reason that people are going to miss him. Reggie leaving and Iwata's passing and i think we're we're on the we're on the eve years of miyamoto stepping back hopefully retiring to a nice relaxing life because i mean he's kind of been transitioning to the younger team breath of the wild newer team splatoon new team the newer mario games odyssey newer team so he's kind of taking that mentorship position and so, hopefully transitioning how is nintendo of america going to replace somebody as iconic as Reggie. I don't think you can. I really so don't. So is this a Tim Cook situation? I think we're going to get a Tim Cook. And that's, you know what? Now that I think about it. So if you haven't heard, the the successor to Reggie is, uh, what was he, the C, 
what was his position before? Chief marketing? Chief CMO, yeah. C- Chief marketing officer. His name is Doug Bowser. And he was hired maybe a year or two ago. And so, and there's been jokes about his name ever the since. The jokes already happened two years ago, <laughs> but apparently he's taking over the CEO position now. And people are making those same jokes again that Bowser's going to be running Nintendo. Yeah, um, we're going to get a bunch played, of Bowser-focused games. And he's played into that joke with his, uh, his first... Uh, picture on twitter of him you could see a stuffed uh mario and luigi tied up in the background so he's playing <laughs> he's playing into that persona and that's great but i think yeah i think you have a uh steve jobs tim cook situation where um doug bowser's kind of he's a little more soft-spoken mm-hmm but that's not a bad thing ironically for a cmo he's not bombastic and outgoing yeah, well, and I mean, was, it's who is the chief marketing person? Uh, like in the mid two thousands, the woman I remember. Oh, uh, I can't remember her name. I I interviewed her, actually, and that was a weird time for Nintendo, and everything was the best, and they were it was the re- GameCube era. Yeah, I mean, so. so moving on. Yeah, Hollow Knight. Are you familiar with the game? I am. So, as part of their, because Hollow Knight was ki- a Kickstarter game. It was, and, and it was an early release in a sub form, actually. Yeah. For people who kickstarted, and for people who were uh, humble bundle owners. Yeah. yeah. You got kind of a preview before it released. So, in all the Kickstarter goals, they said we're going to add DLC co- characters. We're going to add um, like a boss rush thing. They've mm-hmm. they've held true to that for the past couple years, and ever since. Hollow Knight released on the Switch last year. It's had this big resurgence. I mean, it released on PC first, but it really didn't hit the mainstream until it hit Switch. And I gotta say, it's it's probably one of the games I've watched at the last GDC, or not GDC, GDQ, um, where I really enjoyed watching the strategies and the speedruns. Yeah. Because it's it's a Metroidvania-type game, so you, you've got your... Per- pretty typical platforming and and kind of backtracking and all of those elements but there's just something about the aesthetic of the game which is very stark it's it's blue black and white and it's it there's a lot of ways they play with light there's a lot of desaturated uh color tones and and palettes and And you know i mean you get the feeling that this is an underground kind of burrow universe with a bunch of bugs in it which it is and they did such an amazing job. They've never made... I've never seen anything that made bugs... Creepy bugs. Because there was there was like a bug's life, right? And you had those... Right. But there's been so many weird bugs where it's like they made them cute. Yeah, They didn't really make them cute. They this. made some of them cute. The friendly bugs, but... Right. You know. But the, so anyhow, the scary saying, bugs are scary. Um, Team Cherry, the developers of Hollow Knight, are pulling what I like to call... The Yacht Club Game Swindle, <laughs> which is not really a swindle. It's the reverse of a swindle. I was going to say, when they give you something, that's not a swindle. Well, this is kind of them giving us something. Um, I mean, so they said that one of the characters in the game was going to be a uh, free DLC. Mm-hmm. They've now developed that as an entirely brand new game, full-fledged. And if you know anything about Hollow Knight, it's huge. It's sprawling. It there's like 150 different enemy types. Like there's no, you know how in Metroid where you're playing and it's like, oh, it's the swoopers and it's the folly follies and it's the space pirates. Every enemy 
is completely different depending on the area area you're well, in. Well, and, and their stories are connected too. Yeah. Right? There's a theme. Yeah. So, so. And and the even cooler part about this is they're honoring all of those Kickstarter um Kickstarter people and they're gonna get this game for free on their platform of choice. So nice. I, I'm really excited for this. I love Hollow Knight. It's gonna be a new character, different gameplay. It looks more movement based than the original. Yes. So it's gonna be the Mega Man X to Mega Man sort of sort of what um Shovel Knight did with uh Spectre of Torment, just new movement and or to go old school it's kind of the difference between a simon belmont castlevania and an alucard castlevania i mean you could say that but they both kind of just stand on the ground and swipe at stuff Uh, one turns into a bat or a wolf yeah or a mist a mist i've always (laughs) wanted to turn mist anyhow i'm excited for this you should be excited for this we don't know when it's coming out no next Next on this list is something that Sean was right on. Mark it down. But I'm almost always close to right. Almost always close to right. So, you heard us talk about Titans, which, have you been keeping up with Titans? Uh, that's, that's not poisonous. Have you, no, that, no, this is a yes or no question. Yes. So you've been watching every episode of Titans. I saw every episode of Titans. Okay. So you know how we feel about Titans, and you can hear from Sean's voice how he feels about Titans. Mm. But DC came out with another show on DC Universe for streaming. And this is not Young Justice, which I'm going to watch eventually, Sean. Okay. I Watch this. Give me time. Okay. They released a show called Doom Patrol, which I didn't know much about the Doom Patrol and the DC canon. Um, I guess... The closest parallel I can bring to you without the space element is it's sort of what Guardians was in Marvel. Even though I would say were Guardians were not, they were like B tier, right? Uh, at C-tier. best. Yeah. This it depends is, on which team of Guardians. Yeah. I mean, right? this is like D tier of DC. Yes. This is, this yeah. is. Robot Man is not anybody's favorite character. This is some low-tier <laughs> DC characters. And what's gr- great about this show that I can't express to you verbally, or I'll do my best, is it is really funny and it knows what it wants to be when it grows up. Mm-hmm. It has this weird tone of campy, serious, drama, comedy, and you've got Robot Man, which, uh, what's the character's name? Cliff Steel. Cliff Steel. Yeah. Who was an arrogant race car driver who was involved in an accident and wakes up decades, or I guess he wakes up like a year later and finds his brain inside of a giant robot body. Mm-hmm. Um, and that character is played by Brendan Fraser. The universe has provided... A vehicle <laughs> for Brendan Fraser to be back on the screen, which I'm excited for because I love Brendan Fraser. Like I was telling you the other day, I'm not going to say Brendan Fraser's a great actor. No, no. But he's a likable actor. He plays a big, adorable goof really well. And this plays to his strengths. Yeah. So we've got Brendan Fraser back. Then we have... um 
uh, Elastic Woman, mm-hmm. who is an actress from the 40s, 50s, 60s. I can't remember which decade. 50s. 50s. Rita Farr. Rita Farr, who basically goes gets pushed into a pond. And, and she's a horrible person. She's Oh, she's a horrible, vain person. Yeah. And she gets in touch with this chemical that basically just turns her into, imagine Clayface from DC, but without the control. And basically all she can do is turn into a giant blob that consumes everything. Yeah, I think that's okay. Well, so, I don't know that she consumes anything. No, when she was in that town, she was consuming I, I didn't quite get that. She and it, she did she gain enveloped, mass. Enveloped. Yeah, enveloped is better. better. I like that. Then you have um, uh, what's his name? The I'm trying. I always forget the characters because they don't call them by the character names in the show. They're all you mean negative man. Base. Negative man. Mm-hmm. Who negative man was a pilot in the sixties? Yeah, it was the sixties. Yeah. Who was testing some. Uh, experimental flight that was going to go up into the stratosphere was meant to be an astronaut. He was the Chuck Yeager kind of character. And he comes into contact with some sort of entity in space that downs his plane and he's covered in burns and scars. This entity kind of possesses him and has electric qualities. We haven't found out much about the show about the entity yet. Well, the entity is its own person, right? It's well, that's why I said it's an entity. Yeah. It's like a Star Trek thing where they, Consumed by a vaporous cloud sentient <laughs> being. So I'm, you I'm got him. Mean. Then you have Jane. Mm-hmm. Crazy Jane. Crazy Jane. And I think she's one of the most interesting characters in the show. I was going to say this. Diana Guerrara, who most people probably first met on Orange is the New Black, is one of the, uh, I think it was Flacca's best friend. She... Um, she was one of the inmates and she didn't really have much of a role in that show. The biggest problem is that she's actually pretty amazing as an actress. She's playing like potentially 64 different roles with this character because it's the character has a split personality, right? And they're distinct. Each personality has its own superpower and we're slowly being introduced to all of these different caricatures of people which is really what the splinters in her personality are right um and we've met five or six at this point we've we've met quite a few and they're all unique yeah and this is actually a grant morrison character from the comic books and so if you've ever read grant morrison's work you can tell that sometimes he goes a little odd he's very much a british comic book storyteller and and you said that Grant Morrison had a run on the Doom Patrol. Oh, yeah. He kind of resurrected it in the, um, I think it was the early 90s. So, and again, I wasn't familiar. Um, so you have those, and those are, what, are those the original four characters? Of they're the not Patrol? the original Doom Patrol, but they're the core of the kind of modern Doom Patrol. Same with the Guardians sort yeah, of dynamic right. where they're not the original, but they kind of. Okay. Yeah, there's Mento and there's a number. I mean, so Elastigirl is one of the core chief is one of the core right um which we didn't talk about that yeah then we have chief who is played by timothy dalton who is essentially timothy dalton um and chief is sort of i'm trying to give another comparison he's sort of like this mentor father figure to the doom patrol 
but there's a lot of mystery of what he did in his past and the means he which did it. Like, and and what his motivation is. Yeah. Right. You kind of get this like caring person up front, but then you find out he was kind of conducting research and experimenting on serious mad science vibe. Yeah. And so. he, you know, he's, he's got all these people that know who he is that kind of shade what he was involved in, in his past. So, and the team has to do most of the season without him. Yeah. Right. Because he's, like, he's gone missing by the main antagonist of the series, <laughs> which is played by Alan Tudyk is Mr. amazing. Nobody. And Mr. Nobody is like, if, and you I don't know, he, he, he's an insane narrator. He's an omniscient narrator. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he lives, he, he comments on the show as if it were a show and comic book origins and, and all of this. He knows everything. He kind of lives outside of existence a little bit. And he's kidnapped the chief for means we don't know why. He's got some sort of vendetta against the chief. Mm-hmm. I think it is creation, right? I mean, yeah, it's when he because he was this minor supervillain, like a lackey who nobody remembers, who went down to um, South America and paid a mad Nazi mad scientist right. to give him superpowers. Yeah, and at the end of the day, it, he it worked. He got superpowers, but he's kind of broken, literally. Yeah. So, and then we have the weird, the weird, tan- the weird for Doom Patrol. We have another character who shouldn't necessarily be connected to Doom Patrol that hasn't really had a historical relationship to the Doom Patrol. Yep. And it's a character you'd expect in that other show that Sean loves and watches every episode every week, Titans. And that's Cyborg. Cyborg is also on this show. And it's Cyborg. It's not a convoluted version of Cyborg. It's Vic Stone. His father's still alive, Elias Stone, and that re- they're building off that relationship. And he's sort of like the centered ground leader. The hero. The hero. Right. Most of these characters are not heroes. They're and not he's heroic. Not, he's not the established cyborg of the Justice League. He's his teenage. He He's the Teen self. Titan. Yeah. Original Teen Titan cyborg. You know, he's a little bit older than. He's, you know, been, on, he's been on the prowl for maybe a year or three. Um, but yeah, he's still relatively new at this. And again, they're kind of hinting at some mad science tendencies with Silas, his father, which sometimes that's part of the main DC continuity and sometimes it's not. Right. Um, but there's a mystery evolving that they've been kind of teasing around Cyborg and his origin not being what he thinks it is. Right. Um, and they've kind of been dropping hints the last few episodes about that. So you have that. So without going into that anymore is this show is really good. This is this is this should be the flagship show yeah. for DC Universe with the live action stuff. It really cleanses the palate on everything that Titans was and is. I haven't kept up since the second or third episode we watched. Yeah, that was a good time to stop. <laughs> And it, like I said, it, it just has this really cool tone. It, it's it's well shot. The music in it is great. And it never takes itself too seriously. And every time it starts to get a little bit serious, something completely absurd happens. Yeah. And um, Brendan Fraser's catchphrase in the show is basically, what the F? 
Yeah. Um, if he doesn't say it at least once an episode. Yeah, I've been trying to keep track of that. So. <laughs> I, I think we both are saying we highly recommend this. Yeah, if you're if looking you for a reason. considering DC Universe, at least for the back catalog, this is something new that's definitely worth watching. Yeah, and it, it's a good complement with things like the um, HD remaster of Batman the Animated Series and yep. uh, the new Batman Adventures, which I don't actually recommend. Um, but it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. And, and right now DC shows need to be fun. Um, and we'll see, we're about two thirds of the way through this season and then we'll get some more young justice for the back half of its third season. And then after that, we should be getting star girl as the next season. Star girl. Yeah. Who's star girl. Well, there you go. (laughs) Okay. It's maybe a, a question for a future episode. So we need to move on. Sean, one of your stress relieving games is getting a sequel. <laughs> yeah. So I was going through a particularly stressful week and you know, Jared and I were talking and he's like, so how, how you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing to relieve stress? I'm like, I'm playing darkest dungeon. It's stress relieving. And he's like, but that game is, it causes it, it's all about stress. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And stress is actually a thing in the game, right? Madness. It's or, a mechanic. Yeah. yeah. Your characters go crazy from stress. And so we're getting a sequel. We are. And it's so exciting. I can't wait. It's also coming. Well, it's now on the switch for those of you who only buy games on the switch. Like Jared. Well, you buy games on every system. You only Excuse play. Me. It's not even our tangents, but I've been playing Devil May Cry Five. <laughs> not on the Switch. Not on the Switch yet. Yeah, but Darkest Dungeon Two looks to expand on the same formula. We've got very little information on it at this point; just kind of a teaser. Um, but I'll tell you, if it's anything like the original, I'm in. And it's going into early access, much like the original game. So. Those who kind of buy off early will get to see the game evolve, which was a big factor in Darkest Dungeon, the original game, because I've been playing since before the release. And in the beginnings of the game, stress was a real issue. You couldn't manage stress well. And almost every character you would go into the dungeon with would end up going crazy with some horrible mental illness because you just couldn't control stress. And the fact is that even just being in the dungeon is stressful. So just walking causes stress in that game. Right. And, it, and they've they've dialed it back, right? So it's much more palatable, much more approachable game than it started as. But I'll be interested to see what they do for the second one. But, that, I mean, we're talking about games that, that I like, right? And that kind of brings us to another announcement that came out last, I think it was last week. A couple of weeks, yeah. Or maybe two weeks ago at this point, which is Fallout is finally getting a pen and paper tabletop RPG. And not just one, but two. Two. From Modifus. Both of them separate. So one is built to allow you to use the uh, ta- uh, the Fallout Wasteland Warfare um, miniature game as a role-playing game. So it's an add-on to Wasteland Warfare. Makes perfect sense, right? It's it's a tactical battle game. Now you add some role-playing game elements, and, and you can use the tokens, and you use the cards, and you use okay. the miniatures. 
The other one is uh, a standalone Fallout game set in the D- 2D20 system, which is the same system Modifus, Modifius sorry, uses with like Star Trek Adventures, Conan, um, Mutant Year Zero, which was recently released as a tactical video game. Um, but so both of those are finally licensed, fully coming out, and we should have them within the next year. So I'm That'd pretty be exciting. I, I'm gonna buy the books. I mean, I buy Star Trek Adventures because I love reading the Star Trek books. Though I suspect I will probably never get to play it. Don't say never. Maybe in 2025. Okay. Yeah. Sure. So, um. Next, this was sort of in our rumors section. Actually, um, actually, I think McBoat wanted us to talk about this. Uh, yeah, he, he this was, uh, this is in our rumor mill. It was in the rumor mill. Well, and this is the announcement I was kind of alluding yeah. to when I talked about GDC. Google is not coming out with a game console. Google's come out with a games platform Yeah, called Stadia. And this is really sort of the fully realized game streaming that we haven't really seen. You know, if we compare this to existing platforms like uh, xCloud and and PlayStation Now, and I guess maybe the NVIDIA stuff. Well, Shield and Shadow. NVIDIA has been doing it for a while with their... So Google's throwing in all the above. You're going to be able to play on every platform. Well, because Basically, you're not really playing on the platform. Well, I mean, it's it's going to be available on right. every platform, including TV. They've they've actually brought up a, a possible decent selling point for the Google TV Home Puck streaming device, Chromecast. Puck. Chromecast, yeah. Um. Well, but let's be careful when we say every platform. It's not at this point announced on any of the game consoles. That's true, and it hasn't been officially announced for iOS. They were asked about that, and they were promoting it for Android. Well, that they own Android. That right. makes sense. So this is basically, you're going to be playing in the cloud. The game's going to exist on Google servers in their data center, and they've said that it's going to be 4K, 60 frames, working towards 120 frames per second, and then eventually 8K. And... I imagine that this is gonna this is gonna scale based on the platform you're on, right? For obvious mm-hmm. reasons, right? You're not gonna want to play 4K on your phone unless you have a 4K phone. It's still a little overkill I, for I'm, the I don't pixel, know how you yeah. pixel DPI ratio to your <laughs> eyes. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what I think about this. I I think this is it was an impressive tech demo, and that's mm-hmm. what it was. It was a commercial. It was at GDC, so it wasn't really meant for you and I, the gamer, it was well, targeted towards developers. Right, yeah. Right, they wanted to get developers intrigued in the platform to bring stuff forward. And they did announce their first key partner for a game, which is Doom Eternal. Yes. So they did Project Stream, which was like the demo to this demo yes, last year. Yes, it was. Year. I participated. Was, uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, right? Mm-hmm. So then they said Doom Eternal is going to come out. It's going to be 60 frames a second. So they're they're basically coming up front and hitting that argument of you're not going to be able to play really responsive, low latency games on this platform. They're like, no, Doom Eternal's coming. Well, I can tell you with Assassin's Creed Odyssey, it was almost no latency. 
So here's another thing is they've also announced, they did announce new hardware. Yep. And the new hardware was a game controller. It was very uninspired. It was a, it looked perfectly functional. It's an Xbox style game controller or Nintendo switch pro controller style. It does look a lot like the pro controller actually. And the only thing I have about this is the way that the controller connects. Yeah. It's not through Bluetooth. It's not through 2.4 gigahertz wireless. It's a standalone. It's connected via Wi-Fi. Yeah, standalone Wi-Fi. Now, I know you said you didn't see much lag Mm -hmm. or any perceivable lag for Assassin's Creed, which, again, is not a fighting game or an FPS or anything where you notice the frame-perfect tricks. But having a controller that connects over Wi-Fi, I have a little bit of pause on how that's going to actually work because if you have a $10 router or maybe a, a router that's provided by your ISP. There's a lot of questions about quality. What what's the other, the, the other issues, and they did come out today. There was some clarification about the minimum areas. speed. Yeah. Uh, 25 megabits is a minimum speed. Yeah. They did say it wasn't going to be available for rural um, areas in the U S for obvious reasons. And that was my main thing, too, is, and this is my main thing about game streaming really taking off, is, I'm sorry, but we may have fast internet, but our internet is still not super reliable or always fast or always on. Now, here's the part where I get the counterpoint. Please do. The majority of people in the United States live in urban areas. No, yeah, and that's true. And... The biggest selling point, somebody asked, uh, you know, what what's their hook with this? The hook is, as a business model, a nice <laughs> recurring subscription fee. Netflix. is a nice thing for a company to have because once you establish the infrastructure and overhead, it's not going to cost them much to maintain this. And then you pay to have your game in their library. And they're, yeah, they're going to get the, the fees from the developers. Yeah. So they're going to double dip. Um, the other thing is for the consumer. Now you and I, you even more than me are willing to invest money into keeping up a gaming PC. Mm -hmm. I still keep up with all the consoles as they're released. Right. And I get those stupid $80 switch pro controllers, which are not (laughs) worth $80. Um, and I have five of them now, but for another person that may be on a budget, $20 $20 and maybe a $50 controller or whatever it may be mm-hmm. a month to game. That's the latest attractive. Releases, it's kind of attractive. And then you'd never have to install a driver. You never have to do an update. It's updated from the cloud. I mean, as long as you have a consistent, you know, internet connection and a device that you can display it on, it should be a good experience. Yeah. So I, as a, as a game collector and, the whole concept of games as a service, um, you know, I'm. I think this is an additive. I don't think it's going to replace yet. Then Xbox well, is talking about a discless system, and and maybe we'll keep this for another topic. But we're seeing where things are going, and this is yep. a, this is a big investment towards it. So, um, Sean, mm-hmm. you like RPGs? I do, and you like that game Persona that was about capturing different. Monsters and post personas, right? Yes. 
Um, well, you unlock them. You unlock them. You well, I mean, you capture them, then you negotiate with them, yeah, and, and then they serve you. Catch them all, right? You you have to. Uh, you want to? That's your. Ma- you want yes. to see how many different combinations and characters. And then you confuse them to make new ones. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of cool. And you upgrade them. Yeah, based on your social links. It. Yeah, yeah. What if I told you a game like that was coming to Switch? They're gonna. Did they announce Persona Five for the Switch? Something better. Oh, what's that? Pokemon Sword and Shield. Uh, I, <laughs> I thought you said something better. I did. So anyhow, the 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 next Pokemon games were announced for the Nintendo Switch. Not much to say other than the the visual style is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. It looks almost open worldish. I think it's deceivingly. Yeah, deceiving we us. don't know enough yet. Um, they showed off the starter Pokemon, which everybody has opinions. What was your favorite, Scorch Bunny? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was Scorch Bunny. Scorch Bunny. That's nobody's favorite. <laughs> well, some people like Daisy. Nobody likes Daisy. <laughs> um, anyhow, I it's it's Pokemon. It, I think there were some concerns that it wasn't actually going to come out this year. It yeah. is. It looks good. It looks like Pokemon. Moving on. Sean, what's a game besides Skyrim and Diablo 3 that you own multiple copies of? Diablo 2, Diablo 1, oh, wait, Starcraft. Did, did you say Diablo 1? Starcraft. Yeah. Do you have multiple copies of these? Yeah. And you play them on your Windows 10 computer? Not all of them. I couldn't play Diablo on my Windows 10 computer. Until? Until last week. So what? Did uh, Blizzard put it on Blizzard.net in the downloader? No. Actually, and this was disappointing, but okay. Um, and it really has to do with licensing. Because Diablo was originally released by Sierra Online. Um, not by Blizzard itself. It was published by Sierra, but it was actually a, you know, Blizzard game. Right. Uh, but it, there was no easy way to play Diablo 1 on a Windows 10 PC. And instead of just moving it over to Windows and making it work like GOG does for a lot of things, they actually worked with Blizzard to enhance the visuals. So you can actually do anti-aliasing, parallax scrolling. There's um, anti, um, not anastropic filtering. Right. Uh, they've upgraded the sound. They've upgraded the performance. And you can choose to play classic or you can play the upgraded, which also has dynamic screen resolution. So, so you can play it on your 1080 monitor. And one of the biggest problems with a lot of the mods out there for Diablo 2 and Diablo 1 when you could play them uh, was that you could expand the screen resolution and draw more of the screen, but the algorithms for enemy detection would go haywire because they were built for a very limited draw distance. Right. And so that's one another one of the things they fixed is you can have a bigger display field, and it doesn't mean that you see every enemy and they just stand there waiting for you to get close to them. So if you're a fan of Diablo, it's like $10. And it's available for modern platforms through GOG. DRM free. Yep. And you can play it and, you know, share it. And it has multiplayer. And it's, I mean, it's it's no Diablo 3. It's not a Diablo 2. It's where Diablo started from. So it's a very basic hack and slash dungeon crawler. Yep. And you got to go into it with that mindset. Um, next is Octopath Traveler. Yes, great game. Square Enix's sort of 
trying to bring the JRPG back. Um, they've announced both a prequel mm-hmm. and a sequel. The prequel's coming to your phone. Yes. So they're going to follow specific characters in small stories that kind of set things up before the main game. So if you haven't played Octopath Traveler, even though they're prequels, I would recommend you play it and then go dive into the mobile. Um, but the sequel is going to take place after, and I'm assuming we're going to get new characters. I, yeah, we don't know anything about the sequel other than that they basically confirmed saying we're going to make another. And uh, did you play? I mean, I know you own it, but... No, I haven't. I, my goal is to finish Bravely Default before I get into Octopath Traveler. Okay. Which Bravely Default, if you don't know, is the same team that did Octopath. It was sort of... I would say it's probably better critically re- received than Octopath was. Um, yeah, Octopath also released at a fairly strange time. Well, I think a lot of people were expecting with Octopath the eight characters to kind of interweave and have co-op stories. But they really, didn't. it was yeah. it was eight individual tales, and the other characters were just kind of there. Yeah, and as you whereas, built the party towards the end... It's really default. It's a party of four. They're... It's a deeply involved story. The writing's really done, and they've done two of those games, and it's all about saving the world. And again, the Octopath was more of a individual story, either revenge or something like that. Okay. Sean, uh, <laughs> what is your favorite game about, I don't know, escaping as like an orangutan or something? Ape Escape? No, the other one. Ape Out? Ape out. Yeah. So no, it's my favorite jazz album. Isn't it played as a game? It's yeah, it is. So, uh, (laughs) there was a little indie title released a couple weeks ago called ape out. Um, and the arts done by, uh, Bennett Foddy, Mm -hmm. which you know, from the co-op games and getting over it with Bennett Foddy, which, wow. (laughs) So ape out is a 2d top down, Game. Silhouette game. Silhouette game where you, you yeah. play as an ape who's trying to escape. But and there's that, four scenarios? That title's game? already taken. But um, yeah, there's four different scenarios. And it's it's got this sort of dynamic soundtrack that changes based on what you're doing in the game. It's all jazz, like hi-hat. And yeah, it, it's really the cool. The presentation's sort of like a 70s styles jazz album. And... I, you got to get this game. It's worth it. It's worth every penny. It's fun. And it's the best game that makes you feel like an ape. Well, and, and it's funny because when you were playing it the last time I was over and we went into the third level, which is the ape trying to escape from a paramilitary unit in, in the, the Congo jungle. jungle. Yeah. yeah. And, and it was so fun to watch you just kind of <laughs> get frustrated because the thing about the game is you get this limited perspective on the field and it's very much about reaction. Rea- yeah. And view, right? Your, your ape is at a certain point and you have to choose. And it's, it's a bit of a roguelike in where enemies are placed, not the map itself, but right. uh, it's one of those things where you, when, when you start watching somebody play it, it's just fun. You know, it, it's fun to play, but it's also fun to watch. Yeah, it is. It is entertaining to watch. And uh, it's a lot of fun. So we were talking about games as a platform and, and, you know, kind of, I guess, keeping in the Project Stream kind of mindset. 
Um, we talked about how Microsoft and Nintendo were working together to kind of move forward. Well, Sony's decided that they want to make their um, remote play capability available to Apple users. Which was already available for Android, right? Yeah, I've, I've had it on my Android phone for a while. Uh, I never use it. It's not something I think is practical, but I guess people use it. I don't know. I remember using remote play on the Vita because that's... Well, the Vita to the PS3? Or, and PS4. Okay. Yeah. Um, but there you have a controller. The PS3 with the- was not good. The PS4 was okay. And I do have better Wi-Fi now than I did, but it was still, for being on the same network, it was not good. Yeah. And it did offer over-the-internet remote play, but I just, I would just like to know if anybody's ever done this for no, fun. I mean, I've tested it. I tested it with the PSP. I tested it with the Vita. I did it to buy a game once because <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't get into the store, so I remote played to the store and bought a game. But, yeah, I, I, it's just not something... Again, we've talked about... I'm not really a portable guy. Yeah. So, it's not my thing. Sean always plays his switched in docked mode. Not always. It's not true. I've seen him play portable quite a few times. Only because I'm sitting in your front room while you're playing Smash. And, and I'm you don't Di- want to play Smash. And yeah. I'm playing Diablo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Or, or Skyrim. You haven't played that in a while. No, I haven't. I haven't played much of anything in a while. Um, speaking of things that I haven't seen in a while, I don't know, it's a bad transition. No, actually, I, I like that. Arrow. Things you won't be seeing much longer. Either. Part of the CW Arrowverse. The uh, foundation of the CW Arrowverse. They've announced that the last season is coming up. And that's good. It really is. Um, I haven't watched it since season four, I think. Yeah. And I feel like it, from what a lot of people said, it got kind of repetitive and into a rut. Um, he, Green Batman just isn't not as interesting to me. Well, they never made him, from what I've seen, even in clips of the newer seasons, they never kind of made him the Oliver from yeah. the sort of spunky, witty kind of, I wouldn't say comic relief, but he he's not Robin Hood. He's Green Batman. Yeah. Right. And it's hard to be Robin Hood when you're a really wealthy guy who gets elected mayor. Right. But so... My overall feeling about the CW Arrowverse shows is the hype's kind of died down on those. I think we are probably approaching the end of that life cycle. Yeah. And they're announcing a new show for next year, which I'm not sure I care about. Batwoman. And it's not because I don't like Batwoman. It's it's just I'm kind of... The CW shows have a formula. Right. And I'm kind of done with it. It was fun at first, but sustained. It's not really much more. One of my favorite characters is the flash. And the first season, two seasons, maybe of the flash were, they had a lot of flaw flaws, right? They, they didn't handle the storytelling well, but they were fun and the characters were interesting. And now we're on season five and it feels like they're retreading. Right. And they always have the same pacing problem, and they always have the same villain problems. And I'm Supergirl this season. I think a little went a little too political for me. Um, It's not as fun as it was. I think it's the difference. What I liked, what 
the Netflix shows did with Marvel mm-hmm. is they had a story to tell and they had just about the right time to tell them. Some of them. I would Some say of them were a little padding. Yeah. Because they were uh, like hour long shows. We will not mention the one show that's completely badly paced. Yeah. About the iron guy. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's, I'm not sad to see Arrow go off and and it sounds like what they're doing and what they set up this year with their big crossover is they're, they're setting up the Arrowverse for kind of a next generation. Um, Having Ollie make a deal with the monitor as he's being told that the crisis is coming which DC comic book fans know about the crisis on infinite earths. It's been teased since the first season of the flash, right? When Barry walked into the time chamber and saw the note that he disappeared in a red mist in the crisis event. And it's been a key part of what they've been building up to this season on the flash as well. I really think instead of losing the flash and Supergirl, who were originally died in the crisis, we're going to lose Ollie. He's going to sacrifice himself. So we'll see how it goes. Okay. So, Sean, mm-hmm. we uh, we planned to record this a, a week or so ago. We did. And um, things didn't work out well. But I had a surprise for you. Oh. Really? Um, I woke up. So Captain Marvel released last weekend. Yeah, it did. And I had plans that Thursday and Friday, and Sean saw it, you saw it that Thursday, right? Thursday night, opening night, 7 o'clock. Like, we got to talk about this. And it's like, Sean, I haven't seen it yet. I want to I want to, I want to spend time and watch it and talk about it so we have differing perspectives. And I did something to surprise Sean. I got up at 8 o'clock on a Saturday. And <laughs> if you know anything never. about me, I, you wouldn't know that I even know that there is an 8 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. Yeah. And, and we've joked about this before because during the work week, you're up by seven, seven thirty. Yeah. But on the weekends, you will sleep till one or two sometimes. Sometimes. Yep. So that was, that was touching that you would do that for the podcast. So I, I got up, I went and saw a nine fifty showing of Captain Marvel mm-hmm. and Sean had some uh, other plans and said he'd be over around one. And, he had no. I even played it off and said, "Man, I'm really tired. I woke up. I'm. I don't know if I'm ready to do the podcast. You were over, and you had no idea. <laughs> I was just like, uh, "You're like you. You just woke up, didn't you?" And I'm like, "Yeah." <laughs> <laughs> well, because that's usually the response I get when I call you around eleven or twelve in the Funny afternoon. I saw Captain Marvel, and I'd like to use the remainder of our time to talk about it. Okay. So, what did you think? I think Captain Marvel is merely an adequate film. Adequate. Meaning it it was there's fun parts. Um the character setup is okay. I'm not a huge fan of the version of Carol Danvers that they used. So here's here's what I think about it. I have a couple different perspectives one this is the marvel equivalent of lion king one and a half oh okay so that part (laughs) we can agree on um and what we got out of this film is it was sort of the film that nobody really asked for but it filled in a few gaps in terms of the time period of the mcu we got a lot of uh 
insight into Nick Fury. Yes. Um, I wasn't expecting to focus on him as much, and I love everything they did with that character in that film. And I'll, I'll we'll we'll preface. Yeah, it. we'll come back to talking about that because that's one of the areas you and I differ. Okay. The other thing I don't like that they did is they since they were kind of making this this sort of referential film that fits in the MCU is they didn't really give Carol enough time to develop as a character. They kind of, we kind of jump into Carol's timeline Mm -hmm. in the middle. And I'm going to go ahead and hit this right now. We're going to spoil something. So just so you're warned. Um, yeah, we get Carol who thinks she's a Cree. She's been infused with Cree blood. Mm hmm. And she goes by Vers. Veers. Um and Jude Law, which who's what's his character's name? Um God, you asked me too quick. Larv Larv oh, I can't remember. Anyhow, that's sort of her mentor trainer. He, she's part of a squad. Basically a, a a hit squad. I guess what what would you say their operation is? They're Star Force. They're not a Star hit squad. Force. Okay. They're Kree Special Forces. Yeah. So, there. This is during the Kree Skull War, mm-hmm. and if you know anything, Marvel history is is the Krees and the Skull, the Scrolls, Yon Rog, Yon Rog was not what you said at all. Yeah, not not even close. It's the okay. Kree are very militaristic. Sort They're of, Spartan. Yeah. And they, they don't really care gets who in the path of the war. It's about the war. And the scroll are kind of the same. They're kind of depicted as deceiving and deceptionist. And if you any big Marvel lines have come out in the comics is the biggest one was Secret Invasion, yep. which the scrolls invaded Earth and kind of took positions within the Avengers, within Shield and Well, and it was more just scrolls, and this is a concept they didn't introduce in this film and they have a lot of room to now that you know, Marvel and Disney and Fox are all the same. Right. So Fantastic Four is now under Disney. Super Scroll. Is Super Scrolls, right? Because the whole concept of the Secret Invasion was that they replaced superheroes. And the scrolls that we didn't know were our favorite heroes for a long, long time. Right. This was something that paid over the, the course of years that they kind of hinted at. This is kind of cool comic book storytelling where the, the hints were seated in the, you know, like. Yeah. 40 issues back. And then when you look back, you're like, oh, that's why that person acted that way. Yeah. So anyhow, back to the film of Captain Marvel. Yep. We're introduced to Carol or Veers initially. And she, she's a sort of, she, she's a, she's very human, but not. She's, she's trying to kind of conform. I think she's very wooden. She's very wooden. Yeah. Right. And I think that's what the Cree society is demanding of her. Right? right. They're trying to make her conform. That's sort of the gist of the film. And there's the whole, you know, control your emotions. Don't let them, you know, distract you. Kind of Spock colon yeah. R thing. Yeah. So we're doing that. And then through circumstances, she's thrust to Earth in the middle of the 1990s. At a blockbuster. At a blockbuster video. And the normal cliched jokes that you were you expecting expect. to hit are hit. Yeah. And somebody said they didn't like them because they were too cliche, but I think they were pretty well executed for what they were. 
Yeah, I think so. She's in a blockbuster. There's some Top Gun references. Somebody she asks for communications equipment. Somebody points her to her Radio Shack. Here's a fun little movie trivia that I learned about Captain Marvel. The guy that played the security guard at that point is the head of security for Marvel. <laughs> okay. Um, That's so he interesting. Got to, he got his own sort of cameo in the film. Is he going to become the new Stan Lee? No, I don't know about that. So she's dressed the earth and sooner than later, she's kind of introduced to Nick Fury, agent of shield kind of early into his career in shield with no. his partner guy. Like I first day on the job, first partner. day on the job, Colson. <laughs> yeah. um, well, and, and, and I will say Colson is, is wonderful in this film. And what was weird is, uh, the thing is, they de-aged both Coulson and Fury. You know, it's Samuel L. Jackson. And I have to say, it was really well done. I, I never so really too. looked at... It wasn't I as creepy as, as when they de-aged Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. I, I never looked at Fury and said, oh, I, I could totally see this. But I can't say this thing, the same thing about Coulson. There was just something slightly off with Coulson. I don't know if it was his hair or what. But every time <laughs> that I looked he had at him, hair? It, was, it, was kind of, it was just kind of weird. <laughs> Um, so what I what I thought was off was not the visuals. It was the characterization of Nick Fury. We'll get to that. Let's get into Carol and then we'll come back to Fury. Just so okay. we stay on point. What? Okay. No? Well, no, no, no. It's fine. We can, I wanna, we can I talk get... about the least interesting character in the movie. So, yeah. I, 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 I guess I'll just say this. I don't think they fleshed out Carol enough. We never really felt her motivations. We never felt... Um, you know, she was basically, they, they overused the amnesia trope. Yeah. The whole, the whole point of the film is she's trying to remember who she was and we're not really shown enough of who she was other than she was in the air force. And then the, there's a scene with Marvell where she kind of does a sacrificial moment to, to prevent the bad guys from getting bad, doing bad things. It was just a one moment, one off. We never really saw her develop in the Air Force and kind of push and, her way. And that's my core problem with her character in this film. But is, we did see one thing that I think they capitalized on fairly well in the montage section mm-hmm. was that sometimes a hero doesn't need to be heroic. They just need to stand up and, and move on, which, which if we're being serious. Yeah, Batman. No, no, no. If we're being... No. Why do we fall, Bruce? Um, <laughs> Same story. serious, in real life... Yeah. People that are strong are the people that continue on day in, day out. Okay. That's fair. Right? They yeah. don't always save the world or make some big... They, they just continue doing no matter what's happening to them. She persisted. I thought that one exact line, nevertheless, she persisted when that happened. I mean, that did cross yeah. my mind. Yeah. So I wasn't as dismissive of that. I think, yeah, she wasn't as fleshed out. I agree with you on that. But the whole. I don't, my biggest problem from a storytelling angle, she never really has to overcome anything in this film. And when you see her at the end, when she comes into her full ownership of her, who she is, there's no sea change. She's effectively reacting the same way. And, and then let's, I, I want to touch on it real quick, and, and it's me quibbling a little bit. The power level 
that she exhibits in this film. I don't care about power levels. I think people focus on them way too much. And again, it wasn't. She just went through the ships. She didn't shoot all the lightning bolts to blow them. She just. They didn't have their shields up, and she's an impenetrable. Iron Man could have done the same thing. I agree. And she's supposed but, to be stronger than Iron Man. But he never did. Yeah. And and that's where my I never, problem is. I never felt that she was going to be able to defeat an entire army. I mean, it was She just, did. She defeated an entire it, invasion fleet. They they retreated. Okay. She didn't because they them. lost they two-thirds of their if, if they wanted to continue war, they could have. But they weren't even hurting her. Yeah, but they would have... It, and, yeah. and so that, that goes back to my, there's no challenge, right? She doesn't get knocked down in that fight. It isn't a great... Even when she's fighting with her allies who turn against her, there's no moment where you ever feel like she's going to lose. I I would agree with that, but... And, and if you know that, there's no stake. I want to argue with you, but I can't right now. I have to think about that. I don't think it's as bad as you're making it out to be. Okay. Like, during the film, it was enjoyable. I felt that her powers were kind of, you know, she always had that power within her, was, was, Mm -hmm. I think, part of the point. But to your point, that the stakes were kind of low, it was, to me, it was, I knew that going in, it was going to be a low-stakes film. They have to set it back in the MCU in the middle of the timeline. When they can't really change anything, because the world doesn't know about superheroes. Right. Yeah. And she's not really a superhero. Right? She's an alien soldier. Well, that's the other thing where I think I like what they did with the divergence of what they did with in the comics, and they kind of brought the tesseract into the picture again mm-hmm. which you i don't know if you liked or didn't like but so they, they kind of filled in some gaps of where the tesseract was after howard stark but before project pegasus in avengers but we knew where the tesseract was it was at the bottom of the ocean no howard stark picked it up at the end of captain america mm-hmm. the first one right after he crashed the ship yeah we know from nitpicky people like me that <laughs> Howard Stark was looking into the Tesseract because of Iron Man 2 when Iron Man mentions Project Pegasus right as what he's working on his little notebook where he's going through daddy's mementos has a picture of the Tesseract yes and in Avengers when he's getting the briefing on Loki and all that he gets a briefing on the Tesseract and everything so and they stayed true to the whole NASA Air Force joint with S.H.I.E.L.D. because at the beginning of Avengers, that's what the Dark Energy Project was. Mm-hmm. I just think it's weird that Marvel was just like, I'm going to take this for a minute up to space in my secret ship that nobody knows about. Because this, nobody knows I'm an alien. This, this, this object's cataloged and has check-in, check-out, right? I mean, that was the weird part, that it was just <laughs> sitting up there. But... I like how I brought the Tesseract back into the, you know, it was the first MacGuffin of the MCU. You know, we're going back to the 90s. The MacGuffin's still there. Yeah. Um, and it was the catalyst for her powers. So let's get to the good part of this film. The good, the great the, part the, of this film. Yeah. Nick Fury. It's a buddy cop film with Nick Fury and his feline partner. Yeah. Because, well, you know what? Yes, I want to talk about this, but I'm going to really quickly just going to insert 
there is there are two other characters in the film that actually need some mention before we dive into the funnest part. Okay. Which is um, Maria and Monica Rambo. Yeah, those were the two. They kind of helped flesh out Carol's journey, so to speak. They were totally much more likable and just they're human, pers- personable. Now, I could go on to a diatribe about Monica Rambo being the actual first Captain Marvel of a female uh, gender. I mean, Billy Batson was the first. Isn't it weird? I was thinking about this the other day. Two Captain Marvel. Shazam is actually coming out like the next month. Yeah. And the Captain Marvels are coming out the The same same year. (laughs) The same year. Even though it's not Captain Marvel anymore, but still. Yeah. So weird. But I I do want to give some credit to the actress who played Maria Rambo. She actually humanized Carol for like three and a half minutes in this film. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the stuff with the memories and stuff with what was the daughter's name? Monica. Monica. She's Captain Marvel. Who, yeah, who becomes Captain Marvel slash well, Pulsar sorry. slash Quasar slash Photon Spectrum. And, and has the... her name stolen twice? Yeah. By Captain Marvel Junior. Oh. Genus Vell. Anyhow. Anyway. Nick Fury. Now you said you you said earlier that you you had some concerns about his uh, characterization. characterization. Yes. Um, I, we're getting fresh on the beat, Nick Fury, so to speak, right? He, they, they allude to him being a spy in the cold war. He said, that's what he did, which we've set up previously. And he mentioned like Budapest and, and Belgrade, Belgrade. Yeah, yeah. And all these other, and he says he likes bees, which somebody then pointed out and referenced another, I think it was Captain Mar- uh, Captain America winter soldier where he mentions another bee. Yeah, place. So I love those little tiny continuity. Things. I, I guess my problem is that I look at the story we get about Nick Fury in Captain Marvel or versus Captain America. Yeah, and they just don't feel like the same person. No, I think they do. So I think what they did in this film that I really, really, really liked is, and it was especially at the end there, is they humanized Nick Fury. They kind of brought the mythos of Nick Fury down a peg, right? Um, he's not this super serious guy always. He is, but he, he kind of, he you know, when he's introducing himself to Carol, it's never Nicholas, it's never, it's like, it's Fury. Right. Right, he's like, it's it's Fury, it sounds cool, right? I mean, it's, and then at the end, um, uh, Coulson comes in, and we the, the stuff of how he lost his eye, right? I mean, that, that's, which you probably don't like, but I, I, I love it. I think it's great because for years we're like, you know, Nick Fury's like, I trusted somebody way too much. That totally pans out. That <laughs> totally pans out. That, that holds true. It's just not what you think it is. And again, it humanizes him. Coulson comes in and says, man, your eye, you know, comes in with a bunch of uh, eye replacements, yeah. glass eyes. And he wants to keep the patch, you know, for the, the mystique of Fury, right? And he's like, Coulson's like, man, it was the Korean interrogating you. They burned out your eye. And he's like, I will neither confirm or deny that. Yeah, so he builds, he builds up that mythos. And again, <laughs> how it happened was just so off chance. But, I mean, it kind of builds up that, you know, he's he's keeping secrets about himself that kind of build up Fury. 
and you may or may not like that, but I I loved it because it kind of builds into Sam Jackson as the character, and he becomes the man with the plan, right? And we see, and again, I don't know how you felt the uh, the whole callback to the Avenger name. With oh, Carol's, I, I actually like that. Carol's code name on her plane was Avenger, and he's writing the Protector Initiative, and he's yep. like, "This Avenger sounds better." And and we get the tesseract, and we get the, we get his his formation of what is going to start driving him, right? Mm-hmm. And what's going to drive him in Shield as he knows there's bigger and badder things out there. I don't know. I I love that. I think it might grow on me, but I mean, it was definitely, I think it, it, again, it wasn't what was expected, right? We've seen fury. And again, I think he's had his badass moments, but we kind of get, we get, I don't know if it was their intention with this film, but it felt like they shot it like a nineties film. I think that was from the cinematography, very similar to what I think we're going to get with wonder woman two. Yeah. With the eighties vibe. Mm -hmm. And even the scene where they're fighting in the ravine in the plains. <laughs> and I'm like, is this not Independence Day? And doesn't she drag, she drags uh, Jan Rog yeah. across the desert. I'm like, this. Uh, did you do that on purpose? Because if you did, hat tip. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I loved, he felt like, it felt like a 90s movie. His character kind of felt that 90s movie vibe. I guess take it, uh, at what you will. I thought that characterization was well. And Goose, the mm-hmm. the the flurkin. Yes. MVP of the film. Yeah. And, and and you know, we didn't the one thing we didn't talk about is the quote unquote villain. We talked about the Cree Scroll War. Yeah. So- and and Ben Mendelssohn's screw or scroll leader, right? Who's got this kind of punk guttural British? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's got that punk British sort of. Yeah, yeah. and and you kind of like he's a thug, but as the story progresses, he actually gets more character development than Carol does. Ag- agreed, and again, I think that's one of the the things about the film is it felt like a just an ensemble film, and Carol's just kind of there. Yeah, well, the real villain is basically the war, right? The war has ravaged the universe, and you have basically Marvel mm-hmm. was providing a sanctuary for some families of the scrolls, and we get a depiction of the scrolls that I don't think we've seen much of in other media. Maybe with we've seen ex- it in some more modern Marvel comics. Yeah, but I mean, like with the this the scroll war and the invasion and the you know, everything with the Fantastic Four, they're always depicted as these just, just evil. Well, they were. Yeah. Right. They were they were shape shifting goblins. Yeah. Effectively. And obviously we've gotten much more serious and you know, there's there was that loose thread in my heart where I'm waiting for them to show like a super scroll yeah. in this film. And I'm glad we didn't get that. Yeah. Uh it leaves some room open for Captain Marvel two, the Marveling. The Marveling. Um, I, I still think there's room. Maybe we'll get into it. Is secret evasions on the table now? You've got the squirrels introduced, and I think that'd be a good thing to seed over the next phase or three. Or we introduce the Fantastic Four and we bring all of that together. Yeah, I mean, 
the Illuminati can happen now. That'd be cool. We can send Hulk off planet. I mean, oh, wait, a lot of these actors, the, the contracts are ending up. We're not going to get, you know, and we were talking earlier off the episode about what my hopes are for the MCU and how nobody's going to die and they're just going to be in the peripherals. But um, yeah, but I liked I liked how they kind of depicted the the war and it was just the villain was like Jan Rog. I mean, and was, even Jan Rog isn't really a villain. He's not really a villain. Other than he just totally dece- he was using Carol. Mm-hmm. But again, it was just the war, and and the war is the real villain, right? I mean, if you want to get that deep, I just love yeah. That even Ronan, who shows up to destroy the Earth, isn't a villain in this film. Poor Lee Pace. I thought he was going to have more of a a presence in this film. I mean, he had what one day of shooting. Well, and then Demon Hanju, or however you pronounce his name, we get to see him before he becomes a bounty hunter working for Ronan. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of all the weird callbacks and connections. I was there's, happy there's, with those. I think I think there's subtle callbacks, right? Instead of a very pronounced, like, look at that guy! It's that guy! <laughs> it's um, a dude from the beginning of, like, <laughs> the Guardians movie. You've got the origin of, of, of Ronan. In the, oh, oh my gosh, she totally accused somebody. <laughs> That's where he got the name! <laughs> um, no, no, they were all accusers. Yeah, but, yeah it's a... Anyhow, it's a class. I I like that, and I liked I liked the resolution of her. I yeah. Outside of the power stuff, she she cements herself as that guardian of Earth of to fit her in. Again, she it's, cements it's, herself as a guardian of Earth and then leaves <laughs> with the Lion King one and a half premise of you know why would Nick Fury call her right with which is what we saw at the end of mm-hmm. uh, Infinity War. It's like, you know, we've had the invasion of New York. We've had Ultron. Dick Fury's like, whatever, we'll figure it out. This is the one time where he's like, <laughs> okay, yeah, calling yeah. her. And what has she been up to, right? I mean, that, that also brings up a lot of, you know, we're, the Captain Marvel we're going to get in, in Endgame is there's a 30-year span there, essentially. And she looks the same. Well, Cree blood and all that. They had, they addressed that in Agents of Shield with resurrecting Coulson and all that fun stuff. So that's yeah. believable. It is. Well, it, it's it's consistent. Believable. So do you think if we get Captain Marvel, we're going to get Captain Marvel too? Are they going to go back in time? Or are they going to just present day and she's going to take over the Avengers? What do I you don't think? think we can say until we see Endgame. Yeah. If they actually come out and just say, "Here's what I was doing." Yeah. And everything's good in the universe now, which. We know it's not because the Kree were a problem for the Guardians. Yep. And the Nova Corps has been destroyed. Yep. So, I mean, Guardians 3, I think, is going to be really interesting if he follows through. Speaking of Guardians 3, we'll get to that in our fans giving of the backfeed. So okay. one last thing we wanted to touch on today is uh, Nintendo had an, their Nindies presentation because they have to put a Nin in for Indies. Nine Inch Nails? Yeah. Awesome. So, we had a Nintendo Direct a few weeks ago to show off Nintendo's first party stuff. This is sort of Nintendo saying, hey, we're first on the scene with the indies. Here's what's coming out. So, they're doing what Xbox and PlayStation did six years ago. But better than them. They've, they they have a huge indie presence. I mean, you have to admit the Switch oh, no, is... It's true. is, is it's it's really a great platform for kind of micro games. Yeah. Not like 
40 hour deep agreed things so we saw a couple things on this uh we got a sequel to blaster master zero which, which was like a reimagining it was good it was really good it was anti creates so the same people that did the gunvolt series and cool mighty number nine <coughs> <coughs> hey you've got the statue right over there you must love it mm-hmm. um kickstarter what, what else did we see we saw cuphead is coming to switch yes i called that a year ago yeah. I'm take credit for it. Microsoft's playing friendly. We we said that earlier at the hour. Well, that goes into what we were saying earlier, yep. which is we we have evidence that there's collaboration happening. Yep. Um, what else did we see? Uh Katana Zero. Yeah. This is a game I've been excited for for a Since while. Since GDC, right? No, before. I okay. this has been in development for four or five years. It's made by the same guy that did Tower of Heaven, which is like a flash game. Hmm. It's just got a really cool aesthetic. It's sort of got that you know, rogue, whatever. Rogue. But it looks like it was made for speedrunning. Yeah, it's definitely if it, it looks in the same vein as like Hotline Miami, where you optimize your route, you mm-hmm. die, you go back, and you go through. But it's just got a really cool aesthetic: ninja gun, reflecting bullets, kind of that eighties retro wave soundtrack. That I, I did love the soundtrack. By the yeah. way, it would sound awesome. But I have a challenge for you. Yes, I want you to find and play. Party Hard. Oh, that's Alex's favorite game. And did, is there a sequel already? There for is it? a sequel. So that's the game where you have to find inventive ways to kill yourself. No. Or to kill everybody at the party. Sorry. You have to kill everybody at the party. By like, you know, turning on the gas stove or whatever. And you have to blend into the yeah. party. You're a serial killer at a party. Or in a club. Is that, that The first one's on Switch, right? I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I will... Put it on my list to do. Yeah, I, I want to hear your perspective. Why do you, on why do you mention that other than just the general premise? Because you mentioned Hotline Miami. Oh, okay. okay. And and it they have a similar aesthetic. Okay. Not not the same, right? Similar. Yeah. But yeah. So the last thing on this list is uh, out of left field sort of announcement. Mm-hmm. We see what looks like a sequel to Crypt of the Necrodancer, which is a rhythm based roguelike dungeon crawler. Because we need to add you all know. those together. Yeah. It starts off that way, and it looks like a 16-bit upgrade. The first one was sort of like an 8-bit version graphics. Mm. I just played it. It's 8-bit. Okay. You're not going to argue. So we get like a 16-bit upgrade. I've played it, too. I have it on the PS4. And then a little chime comes in. Sorry. That was not your best musical impression. Well... Yeah, whatever we're going to do. <laughs> You're supposed to have sound cues on that magic board of yours. Hey, this is supposed to be a quick episode, all right? Um, yeah, two hours in. It's a Crypt of the Necrodancer Zelda crossover game. That's its own game. And the developer has said it's going to be as much as a sequel to Crypt of the Necrodancer and a Zelda game. And it's got all the... It's got a very stylized look with all the uh, enemies from the Zelda games. And you can play as Link or Zelda, who has her mm-hmm. powers from Smash with Den's Fire and Nehru's Love and all that stuff. And it's going to have 30 Zelda tracks that you can play to. I don't care. This is going to be great. I'm going to get it. <laughs> I'm horrible at rhythm sale. games. Take my money. So. Yeah. Yeah. Puzzle I thought it was exciting. Rhythm. I thought it was really cool that Nintendo's giving out their license to an indie developer. This is the first. Well, we're seeing Nintendo do a lot of different things in the last more few and weeks. more. 
like we had Hyrule Warriors with the crossover, mm-hmm. and we've seen them hand the license over to Ubisoft for a tactical Mario game. Mario game. Yeah. So, anyhow, thus concludes our tangents. Let's go to the main topic. There isn't one. Okay. Last, uh, not last. Thanksgiving of the backfeeds, Sean. Um, yeah. Kyle called in, and in our last episode, we <laughs> talked about the short film that Pixar did, and he agreed with you completely, and his wife did as well. See, I'm not as completely crazy. No. Kyle might be. Hmm. We'll see. Um, We have another fan, the Boa Fett, listener of the show. Thanks for listening. If you do listen, or you're just coming to my Twitter post, this is the real test. Alpha 73 is the code. Anyhow, uh, he commented it. It's a late, late comment, but Halo is coming to PC. The, the Master Chief Collection. Yes, it is. With. With Reach. With Halo Reach, which it's not really the Master Chief Collection anymore because he wasn't in that game. Yes, he was. Oh, yeah, you're right. Technicality, but he wasn't in <laughs> ODST. No, he wasn't. Yeah. But that was an add-on anyways. It's coming to PC, but it's not coming through the Microsoft Game Store. It's coming to Steam. This really, first off, bothers me, but second off, baffles me it's weird and it said that's not gonna it's not gonna be the i forget what the name of the program is it microsoft anywhere yeah it's not it's not gonna have the cross play so i have to buy it again if i want it yeah and you is that really is that really the reason you think they did it is if like we release in the microsoft store people are gonna want to they want to pay for it again i think so i think there's a there's a point to that well and you know it's halo i don't the last halo did they I played Halo on PC. That's the first time I played the first Halo was on PC. Not yeah, it was Xbox. Gearbox. Yeah. Yep. So I still have that disc somewhere. Interesting. McBoat tweeted, there are rumors about Sony acquiring Take Two. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. And he says, what's the likelihood of that happening with GTA and, and Red Dead, which... Take Two is a subsidiary of Rockstar, or no? Rockstar is a development. What was the last thing that Take Two did specifically? You know, I'm not sure. Yeah, but sports games, I think. Yeah, NBA 2K. So, do you think with Microsoft buying all these studios that Sony's going to start purchasing up more? Because Microsoft kind of went on a shopping spree last year. Yeah, but I don't think Sony's hurting for first-party studios. No. And I think that their approach is high-quality first-party games and then well-supported third-party games. Yeah. I, I don't see them trying to do what Microsoft is doing. Well, Microsoft's kind of... I don't know. I think they've written off the Xbox One era. And they're kind of going to be hitting next gen a little harder than that. I think did. so. Yeah. Um, lastly, for McBoat, he also tweeted James Gunn is coming back to direct Guardians of the Galaxy 3. So, some interesting things about this came out today, which is this actually happened months ago. That doesn't surprise me. And they held it because he didn't want to disrupt the positive press around Suicide Squad 2, which he is still doing. Which is now 
confirmed to be an entire rewrite. Yeah. And has it no ties to, to the original. Thus making the first one, what, a uh, beta version? <sighs> well, I think DC is still ready to throw everything out. But they're going to have the same actors. Like, this is really, this is kind of weird for yeah. continuity purposes. Is You're going to have this, it's still Jared Leto is his weird <laughs> joker. <laughs> no, thank you. still you. have uh, Margot Robbie as, Robbie as Well, this will be Quinn. her third film. Yeah. Because the um, Birds of Prey and the spectacular emancipation of Harley Quinn. And then we have Idris Elba as Deadshot. Okay. Which, I mean, any Idris Elba we can get on the screen. I'm... We're going to cancel this suicide. <laughs> <laughs> That's a callback. So, Two anyhow, of my favorite Idris Elba. I, it doesn't surprise me that, I mean, he, they want to, they don't want to totally dismiss Suicide Squad too, right? I mean... No, no. Him coming over to DC was sort of like DC, like, hey, we'll take him. Well, but we've already seen it. Yeah. I mean, Joss Whedon did it. With yeah, but I was, I was talking. Cinematic masterpiece, The Justice League. Yeah, but the the there's a difference, though. He was coming on to write and direct Suicide Squad 2 from scratch, whereas Joss Whedon was kind of thrown into an awkward position of... Script doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Or at right, we haven't seen a full Joss Whedon flick in DC, and I doubt he's gonna come back to the superhero genre anytime soon. Actually, what has he been doing lately? I don't know. He's been off for at least three years. Yeah. So, um, so that's that. that Missed well, opportunities. That's What's that? Missed opportunities. You're reading this very formulaically. There's no flow here, man. What? So. Thank you for giving us feedback that we can talk about. We we love it when we get feedback from all of you. Oh, you're going to make me look bad this episode. That's what we're doing. Well, you know, you give me the Gotta opportunity. Got to take your opportunity. <laughs> Kick him while he's down. You're not down. No, uh, I, I agree with Sean. Now I look like I'm in a bandwagon. But no, uh, I, I actually went through the effort of posting on Twitter. That's where we got most of our feedback. So I'll try to keep up the tweets, so yes. to speak. And then... So we are moving into the missed opportunities, which for those of you who don't recall this section is where each of us identifies something that maybe when it came out, we didn't know about it or we, we discovered it later. And so Jared, what's yours? So this one is really because of you, but um, there's a book called the ultimate RPG character backstory guide. Mm-hmm. And what this is, is it's basically a bunch of prompts to kind of help you develop a character's motivations, origins, quirks, flaws, um, through questioning and sort of, sort of, there's a section like on idioms. And so it has like a (laughs) formula where it's like, you, you know, that will break the insert animals name if you don't, you know, something like that. And if you decide to build a character who's around their tagline. Right. So it kind of helps you flesh out and it kind of helps, especially us less creative written people. See, I can't even say it right. You English. Good English. Yes. English is what I'm speaking. But I guess for us that are not as creative as maybe as you who write a little more creatively Mm -hmm. and write fiction. You know, it's like, he's a really good guy and he's super strong and has no flaws. And he also went to space three times. You watch the Umbrella Academy? <laughs> <laughs> That's a thing. But no, uh, I really recommend this. It, 
so when we started uh, our Starfind- Starfinder game, this is helping me flesh out my character and kind of flaws and sort of motivations, right? What, you know, that's, what are anything, what are our true motivations for moving forward in life? It's not to get loot or to beat the bad guy. It might be for some people. We always think we're altruistic, but not everybody in real life is altruistic. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good book to kind of help those who need a little bit of creative inspiration to answer some questions, right? It's, it's the yes and of improv in a book. Yes, very good way of putting that. And it's I say also that written because, by a guy that did improv, right? Yeah, and I, and I I say that because I just finished rewatching Arrested Development oh. and all the <laughs> Tobias stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's fresh in my mind. So Sean, what's your missed opportunity? So this this week's missed opportunities are very literary in nature, it appears. Um, I read books. <laughs> And I was the guy that couldn't talk earlier. No, no, no. Read, there's a reason. read books. There's a reason I said it that way. And uh, I read a lot of books, and I tend to read books that I find um, interesting. And for me, that's not a whole lot of life stories and nonfiction, though I read a lot of nonfiction. But I tend to, to read science fantasy, science fiction, those types of things. And um, Neil Stevenson is a very, very well-known author who's written a bunch of cyberpunk stories and some alternative history stories. And and he's he wrote a book that I really loved called The Cryptonomicon. And I think I've talked about it in one of our previous episodes. But it was the story about encryption and the Philippines. And it was, it was a modern set, but it was a science fiction story. Well... He wrote another book recently called Reem-D, which when you look at it, you're like, that's misspelled. That, what Your does eyes that mean? read it as read me. And it should, because it's actually key to the story, right? And, and what I found is that this is a novel that is a multi-character novel. There's a lot of action taking place in multi, uh, multiple places with multiple main characters. Uh, there's international intrigue and politics, and it all revolves around a virtual, massively multiplayer online role-playing game that developed. And, and they, he calls out in the book things like World of Warcraft, and he talks about you know the artificial economies of things like Bitcoin. And he integrates all these concepts into this fictional game called Terrain. Um, where if you remember the big um, controversy 10 years ago about virtual money for or real money for virtual objects. So you could buy a space station in Second Life for a million dollars and it was your space station. It kind of takes that idea a little bit further, but it's not what the story is about. Um, it also wraps in a bunch of cybersecurity and you know, Russian cartels and Chinese gold farming. And you wouldn't think all of these things together would make a really interesting story, but Stevenson just has a way of kind of weaving these characters together. And I, I skipped it when it first came out because I'm like, eh, it's a read me. What's that about? I got other things to read. And now I finally have gone back to it and I've just, it's a page turner for me. 
and I convinced you to buy it. Yep, I got it. And and I think you're going to enjoy it. I, it. It'd be interesting to see if you have a different perspective once we get there. So with that said, we should probably move into our uh, one section of the podcast, starting out with our classic One Dumb Thing. And I'll go first this week. It's kind of twofold, but it's sort of the same thing, but we'll go into it. Well, yours is from a later conversation. Well, no, it was the same episode. I think it was the same episode. But so I love Star Trek. We know this. We've talked about it. I don't love Star Trek Discovery, but I don't hate it, unlike Titans. Um, But one of the recent episodes, and I think it's two episodes ago now, uh, we finally get to meet Spock in the second season. And, and then and Jared and I have talked at length off mic about how extraneous the whole Spock storyline is and how unnecessary. Um, but that there's some things that have come out of it that are interesting. So we have this emo Spock who just is full of angst and anger and hate. And it's, it's really an interesting view of the character. And I don't think it completely jibes with what we know of Spock in this era. But I think it's the era, right? I mean, it's supposed to be, what, how many years before? Ten years. Ten years. And After was, the cage. It's kind of what you would imagine his teenage years to be. Right. He's in his, what, 20s? Here? But he actually does pout. Yeah. Like, in two episodes. Um, and his, So Spock's been getting visions from this red, ang- red, red angel, which is this continuing thread through the episodes and uh so they take spock to the only place that can fix his brain and it's talus four which for trekkies trekkers whatever you want to call us um we have this memory of the original pilot of star trek and the original captain pike stories and obviously captain pike's been a character this season as well I just didn't feel like they needed to pull the Telosians in. It just it felt extraneous. And in, and you only get that connection at the very end of the episode with Captain Pike. Um, but even more egregious than this is the ultra-secret rogue agency that nobody, I mean, every Starfleet captain and admiral knows they have about. badges. Called Section 31. It's the badge. And there is a scene where they're having a conversation about, well, what authority do you have to make me do something? And one of the characters takes his badge off, and it's a black badge with Section 31, puts it in, I believe it's Pike's hand, and says, there you go. There's my authority. Somebody forgot to read about Section 31 before they did this. Everybody knows about it. And again, I I could... I could extrapolate that since Discovery, the ship, was sort of like a black op ship. We saw that in first season. Right. right. I mean, it was sort of like the secret, you know, by any means necessary ship to win the war. You could suspend some disbelief that, okay, maybe Discovery knows because they're tangentially related to Section 31. But then Pike comes along. And he's like, oh yeah, Section 31. Oh yeah, Section 31. Yeah, yeah. I know the guy that works there. He's my friend. Dude, you've been trapped in the outer quadrant for five years. (laughs) 
How did you know? Everybody knows about Section 31. So, yeah, that's that's my one dumb thing is the super secret public organization that everybody knows about. So my one dumb thing, which we don't normally do individual ones, but we were watching, Sean and I were watching uh, Discovery together. And you ever ha- have one of those moments where you're watching something you're like, wait, 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 go back. What, what did they, they just say? They didn't say that. Huh? They didn't say that. They didn't what? So we're watching this and somebody, on the, there's a whole plot thread about how one of the characters has got like a future virus takeover or whatever and they're compromising the enterprise no discovery 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 sorry apologies (laughs) um and one of the characters says yes they're they're getting into the system and they're they've utilized multiple sql injections sql injections (laughs) so i'm like wait 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 back up did they just say we read the subtitle and it says SQL injection. injection. What year is it? <laughs> uh, it's about 500 years in the future. And there's so many things wrong with this. And the OWASP top 10 has not changed. Yeah, so it's a little bit of our, <laughs> our professional lives getting in here. And uh, and again, the, the Discovery is running on, on some sort of SQL database. I hope and also, not. injections are still a problem. And also, what? It's just, <laughs> it's like somebody in the writer's room is like, oh, yeah, I hear about these security events, and I don't know what SQL stands for, but man, that sounds. It was. And isn't, are they using Microsoft SQL? Are they using MySQL? Why isn't it NoSQL? Is it, yeah. Isn't, and does that scale? I mean, they, they, they're talking above petabytes of information on these ships. And everybody's accessing it simultaneously. I don't think those systems scale. Hey, that version of Oracle is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, we're running a Microsoft issued a patch for the uh, Discovery. Oh, shit. We got to roll back. Now we know why the Spore Drive doesn't work anymore. (laughs) I just... What? (sighs) It was so weird. Also, can that be utilized against the Borg? Holy crap. (laughs) If only if they'd remember it. <laughs> now the Borg have antivirus. <laughs> Norton. <laughs> Anyhow, that's our one dumb things. Uh, lastly, and it's actually lastly this time, um, our one gratifying thing, uh, host of the show, you know him, he's the signs to my cosigns, Sean. Uh, you're going to be writing in the Pan Ohio again this year. Yep, with your daughter Alex. Yep, and you're asking for money again. We're begging. Please give so us can money. You, can you maybe for some of our newer listeners uh, explain what the Pan Ohio is and what the sure charities for? So every year for the last ooh, eight years now, um, I've been involved in a charity bicycle event, which crosses the state of Ohio from uh, Cincinnati to Cleveland or Cleveland to Cincinnati. Uh, I've done both directions. This year we're going south from Cleveland. We'll start in Cleveland, go to Worcester, Ohio, end up in Westerville. Uh, And then from Westerville, we go to Springfield. And from Springfield, we end up in Cincinnati. Over four days, 328 plus miles, all on a bicycle, 
Uh, and we're trying to raise money to sponsor the Hope Lodges as part of the American Cancer Society, which are organizations and places where people undergoing cancer treatment can stay with no cost um, while they're close to the hospital and with good care and, and good support and friendship and their family can stay. And it's, it's, it's really an amazing service that the American Cancer Society provides. But uh, as a cancer survivor myself, I want to make sure that we um, recognize that research is really the foundation of, of dealing with this group of horrible diseases. And the only way it happens is through grants and, and the donations of kind people like yourselves. And it doesn't have to be a lot of money. It, it's whatever you can afford because I can't think of anybody in my life, obviously, who hasn't been touched by cancer. Um, last year when we rode was really special because Alex lost both of her grandfathers to cancer last year. Um, I'm obviously a survivor. We've got multiple people on both sides of the family. And it's a potential problem that she has to look forward to, right? Because some cancers are hereditary. And so if nothing else, I'm raising money to help an organization that could potentially minimize the impact of cancer in her lifetime. Yeah. It's it's a really good charity, and and you've done this how many years? Eight years? This will be eight. I'm actively writing. Seven. This will be eight. So, you know, you're you're out there, and it's it's awesome. It's an awesome thing to do, and it's it's. I think you know. Hopefully, we can get you to you guys to your goal. So, yeah, we've posted the link in the show notes. If you guys have anything to contribute, like Sean said, any little amount matters, and um. You know, this is a good cause. So, well, and then the other thing I want to say is if you're interested in maybe you can't donate, but you can donate your time, volunteer. They absolutely love volunteers. Volunteers are the reason we're able to do the ride. And um, even if you can just give a few hours to work at a water stop, and you'll see that the people who do this ride are not just doing it because they're, you know, they want to get on a bicycle and ride almost everybody associated with the ride that I've dealt with in the last eight years has a personal story and they love to talk to people about it. Yeah. So if you can't give money and you can give time, if you follow the link that's going to be in the show notes, it'll also give you the opportunity to, to volunteer. Okay. So that wraps it up for this tangent full episode that was supposed to be short and well, we didn't we don't, do it. Maybe we don't next do so time. Huh? We don't do so well with that target. It's like we want to talk about these things. Well, we've had a few weeks off too. Yeah, I think it's just a lot of pent up podcasting. So yeah, so, we're we'll get you down to like two hour episodes at some point. I think that's where we're at right now. Cool. <laughs> All right. Anyhow, thank you for listening. If you haven't already. Follow us on Facebook, Fourscore Seven Pongs, Twitter, Fourscore Seven Seven Pongs, or our website, Fourscore Seven Pongs dot com. Uh, we have a Twitch channel. Maybe we'll do something with that someday. Thank you for listening.